If you have your Bibles, if you would, or it's going to be up on the screen, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This morning, I'm excited because we're starting a new series called Consumed. It's called Consumed. It's a voyage of discovery in quest of God's presence. A voyage of discovery in quest of God's presence. A few months ago, we started out on a journey. You remember? With Joseph. We said, we we talked about how Joseph was brought to Egypt and was in bondage. And we said, okay, we're in spiritual bondage. Now, how do we break free from the spiritual bondage that we're in? Whether it's some, you know, you've been stuck in a rut spiritually for maybe many years. How do you get out of that spiritual rut? How do you break free from that addiction? How do you overcome those anger issues? Whatever, whatever you're facing, that's keeping you from, from walking with the Lord, from, from growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in that first series, a few months back, we, we broke free from bondage and we started to move forward. And we, we started to, to take ground. We started to grow spiritually. And we began to follow the lives. We, we followed the life of Joseph and we followed the life of Moses, right? And of Joshua and, and, of, and of Caleb. And we learned how to break free from the bondage that, that, the, whole, that, that the, the evil one holds us in so often. And during that time, as we were walking through, we broke free from bondage. As we were walking through, we, we started to fight giants. We started to take on the giants in our lives. We started to take on the lions in our lives. We started to take on the challenges in our lives. Those things, those roadblocks that, that, that don't allow us to move closer to the promised land. We said, this is the promised land here. The promised land, the very presence of God. That's what we're moving toward. Breaking free from bondage, overcoming those obstacles, struggles and moving toward the promised land, the very presence of God, peace, joy, and contentment. That's what we're looking for in our lives to to live every day, regardless of our circumstances, in peace, joy, and contentment. But we realize as we went from bondage and we were moving forward and we were overcoming and taking on those giants and taking on those lions and overcoming those roadblocks, we realized that we, we had taken ground, but we needed to hold our ground. Remember, we need to hold our ground. And so we went into the book of Daniel 
And we were studying the life of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who better to teach us how to hold their ground than those four? Right? They were uncompromising in their lives. Regardless of what they were facing, they were uncompromising. If anyone could teach us the lessons of what it means to stand strong and stand firm for God, it was those four. Now, though, we are on the edge of the promised land. We've taken the ground. We've held our ground. Now, there there have been some slide backs, I'm sure, in our lives. But if, if we just take this analogy, we have held our ground. And now we're at the edge of the promised land. Now the challenge, to be really honest with you, this, this, these series have been leading up to something. Now the challenge truly begins. Now it truly begins. Now comes the greatest challenge of all. Now the battle lines will truly be drawn. And the enemy will fight with all of his strength to keep us from taking that next step and living in the presence of God. Because that's where things completely change. That's where we internally are transformed and externally are transformed by the very, by the very presence of God. Now, to solidify the position I just talked about, going and taking that next step into the promised land, to solidify that position, to take that next step, will be more challenging than anything we've faced already. You say, well, it was hard me breaking from bondage and my addiction or my, this issue within my life or my anger. It was hard to break free. I haven't gone there all the way, but boy, it's still hard. And I'm trying to hold my ground. That's been hard. Now you're telling me, yes, I'm telling you that the next step will be the most challenging beyond anything we faced already. And I like that challenge. We talked about Daniel. Daniel was the last character that we've been talking about. Daniel's desire... Right. We, we talked about when we were when we were in the book of Daniel, Daniel's desire was to be in the presence of God, to be in constant fellowship with God. That was his desire. Nothing else mattered to Daniel. That was his world. That was his son. And everything revolved around that being in the presence of God. That's why he constantly held his ground. That's why he was not afraid. That's why he walked in faith. Because his desire was to be in fellowship with God. He was willing to face lions. He was willing to face kings. He was willing to face death. In order that he would not have to give up one moment in the presence of God. And it's not just when he was praying. It was his whole life. He lived in the presence of God. And the challenges came when someone tried to stop him from living in the presence of God in any area of his life. Daniel was consumed with the presence of God. Remember what it says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 when, when they told Daniel that the edict had been passed and he could no longer pray to his God? Remember what, remember what happened? Remember what the next thing it says in Daniel 6.10? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He was not going to be taken away from the presence of God. He was not going to stop the, the activities that he did every single day to bring him into a closer relationship with God. Daniel chose fellowship over fear. 
Daniel chose presence over self-preservation, over death. Over death. Because Daniel wanted to live his entire life in the presence of God. First John chapter one speaks speaks to us about this kind of fellowship. In first John chapter one, verses two and three, it says this the life appeared. He, he have, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you grew up in the church, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. But fellowship is so much more than hanging out together, Right? As a Christian, we have, a fel- we have fellowship halls, right? We all hang out together. Fellowship is so much more in the, in the Word of God, so much more from a biblical perspective than just hanging out together, having potlucks or picnics. Those are all really cool and really good. We can fellowship there. But when the Bible talks about fellowship, when First John talks about fellowship, it talks about so much more. In this context, it is the very meaning, the very meaning of continual connect, connectedness and eternal life. And I want you to get that concept in your head. Fellowship with God, the presence of God now and throughout eternity. That's what First John is talking about. Being in fellowship means being in the presence of God, not only here on earth, but dwelling with him eternally. So we can when we think of it, sometimes we think, well, when I when I die, I go into the presence of God. That's not what the Bible says. You do go into the presence of God. But don't sell yourself short now. You can be in the presence of God right now. We as believers in Jesus Christ can be in the very presence of God now. Fellowship refers to joint Joint participation, joint participation in a common life with God and with each other. So we're in constant fellowship with God. We're in constant fellowship with the people of God. That's what that's what the Bible here is talking about. It's so much it's so much further beyond just like I said, just hanging out with each other. We don't need to wait until we die to be in the presence of God. Individually or corporately. We don't have to wait to be in the presence of God. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Christ lives in us. We can be in his presence now. Now, continually. Like, that's what I was saying, Daniel. He is, his whole existence was to be in the presence of God. To be in fellowship with God. And anyone who tried to stop that, Daniel would react intensely. He was not afraid to die. He would live in the presence of God for eternity, but he was living in the presence of God right now. Now, this series um, is going to be a little challenging, which I love. You know, you know, sometimes when you go to church, you know, in, 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 in our modern culture, churches, a lot of churches become, what can I say that makes you feel good and then you can go? The problem with that is if I just tell you things that make you feel good and then you can go, life is filled with ups and downs and sometimes more downs than ups, right? You have challenges, physical, emotional, spiritual challenges. What happens when you face those challenges and all you get fed constantly is, I hope you all feel good. Go home. Yay. Right? When you deal with something really difficult, go home and feel good. Yay. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. 
So what does it mean for us to be in the presence of God? I've said this before. I'm going to keep saying it. My professor told us at Nyack when I was very young, he said, what you win people with is what you win them to. What you win people with is what you win them to. We as followers of Jesus Christ need to understand the deeper things of God because this world is filled with struggles and difficulties and suffering and pain. And the way you can overcome that, the way you overcome that is to live your life in the presence of God. And if you're not living your life in the presence of God, when those things come, you're going to get swept away. You're not going to know how to handle it. So my responsibility before God is to feed you spiritual food and protect you from spiritual harm, both of which I want to do this morning in this series, to feed you spiritual food. And I, I was starting to think, how do, I, how do I help people understand, try to help them understand the concept of dwelling in God's presence? And I remember I was at an AWOP event, at Work on Purpose event, and Sky Jatani was speaking at this Event. His, name, his book is one of his books is with and he was speaking at the Outwork on Purpose event and Sky Jatani told this story. He said, remember Dan Rather, you guys remember Dan Rather, he was a CBS News uh, anchor man for a, a long, very long time. And Dan Rather one time interviewed Mother Teresa. And he was with Mother Teresa and they were sitting down and they were talking and and Dan Rather said to Mother Teresa, he said, so tell me, what do you say when you go in prayer with God? Mother Teresa says, I don't say anything. I just listen. I listen. Dan, rather, being the the crack reporter he is, turns the question around and says, well, okay, then what does God say to you when you're in prayer with God? And Mother Teresa said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And for an instant, Dan didn't really know what to say. He was stumped. He was really stumped. And graciously and confidently, Mother Teresa said, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. You can imagine. You can imagine that interview, right? So what do you say to God? I just listen. So what does God say to you? He just listens. And if you can't understand that, I can't explain it to you. So Josh was with me and Deb was with me. We were at this conference and Scott Jatani told that story. And so after we went to this, I'm trying to help you understand what it means to be in the presence of God. How much we should be longing for the presence of God. The intensity what we should have to always constantly be in the presence of God. So Josh, afterward, we're at lunch at Panera and Josh sat down and he said, so, Dad, he said, I'm a little confused. What did, what did Mother Teresa mean that she listens and he listens and I, I'm a little confused? And there are times in life when someone asks you a question and you're, you don't have the answer, right? You're, you're, you're at a loss to, for how to explain it. And to be honest with you, this was not one of those times for me. Because as I sat there and he asked me the question, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart and so without hesitating, I gave Josh this, Josh this analogy. I said, well, what if I were driving home from work one, one day and I was in a car accident and I was killed? I was killed on the way home. And I left early that morning, so 
there was no chance for you to, to get an opportunity to talk to me, to say goodbye or to engage with me or anything. I, I had left early in the morning on the way home. I was killed and now I'm gone. And you can't you can't talk to me anymore. You're, you're never going to see me again. There were so many things you may have wanted to say to me. And you were anticipating me getting home and, and all of a sudden you, you can't say those things. And there are things you would like to have said to me, but you, you didn't say. And now you can't say them. You can't tell me what you did that day. You can't tell me about how many points you scored. You can't tell me about the things you found. You can't. You, I'm gone. I'm gone. The canoe trip, the, the kayaking, fishing trip that we're going to take in June, we planned and planned. It's not going to happen. You, you can't say goodbye. We can never hug again. I'm gone. And I, and I paused. And I said to him, that's what she means. That's what she's talking about. I said to Josh, what would you, what would you give? Told him that story, the analogy. I said, what would you give to spend one more day in my presence? What would you give? What would you give to spend one more day in my presence? What would you give to be able to go on a canoeing trip, just together, the two of us, even if we said nothing, even if nothing was said, we could sit in that canoe just one more day. Maybe you could feel my hand on your shoulder. Maybe we looked at each other and we said a thousand things with our eyes, but we didn't say anything. We were just together. I was in your presence just one more day. Maybe I smiled at you and what that would mean. I said, that's what Mother Teresa was talking about. What would you give to be in the presence? What, think about this, what would you give to be in the presence of your mom or your dad who has passed? Just one more time. What would you give to just silently lay your head on your mom's lap or on your dad's shoulder? Just one more time. Pick that one person that they're no longer here. What would you give to be in their presence for just 10 minutes? Even if you could say absolutely nothing, nothing, just be in their presence. That's what she's talking about. Mother Teresa was talking about being in the presence of God, God having, having that desire. What do you say when you're, when you're praying? I just listen. Well, what does God say to you? He just listens. That's what it means to be in the presence of God sometimes. That's the desire that we should have. That's the heart that we should have. That's the place where we should dwell. The desire to be in God's presence. Dan Rather could only understand what Mother Teresa was saying if he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he was in fellowship with God. Listen to me. Some of you come from different church backgrounds. You come from, you come from different church denominations and, and you've been going to church all your life. I'm going to explain something to you this morning. There is a difference between being religious 
and being in the presence of God. There is a big difference between being religious and having fellowship with God, being in fellowship with God. And that is really the foundation of this series, to be in the very presence of God, to be in his, to be, to be consumed, if you will. That's what we're talking about, consumed. It means being consumed by him. That's the foundation of this series, to be consumed by God, to have an intimate personal relationship with him. I'm your pastor. I love God with all my heart. But there are days, there are days where I spend th- doing things for God. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm going here, I'm going there. and I'm doing all these things for God. Aren't I just wonderful? And then a couple days go by and I say to myself, you haven't spent a moment in the presence of God. You have not fellowship with God in days. Well, you might say, well, look all the time you spent doing things for him. There's a difference between doing something for God and spending time in the presence of God. I can do things for God as long as I'm, I'm dwelling in his presence while I'm doing them. That's different. But there are times I'm just being honest that I just go, 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 go. Boy, look at all I accomplished for God. And he's like, hey, 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 can we just get in a canoe together here? I just need to spend some time. I want to fellowship with you. I want you to be in my presence. There, there, is a, there is a difference. There are two books that I want you to read during this series. I really would like you to read them. If you can't afford them, just let me know. But there are two books I'd like you to read. One of them is Practicing His Presence. Practicing His Presence. Very old book. It's been in print for 300 years. Okay? Amazing. You know how you take a book sometimes and you, you underline the things that are really important to you? <laughs> I nearly had to stop doing that because I'm like, hey, Greer, you can't underline, underline the whole entire book. You know what I mean? Practicing his presence. I want you to read that one. And also, we talked about Sky Jatani. He wrote a book called With. Helps us understand how we view God how we're viewing God and how that's keeping us, honestly, the way we view God keeps us from being sometimes in the presence of God. We have a wrong thought process when it comes to God. So I want you to read those two books. See, seeing, being in God's presence, seeking out God's presence is a voyage of discovery. And on the one hand, it's one of the most difficult things we're ever going to try to do. On the other hand, it's not difficult at all. We just need to understand it. We need to understand this concept. Once we understand it, we say, okay, I can, God, I can be in God's presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. See, being in God's presence is a voyage of discovery. It's understanding and trying to understand what God's will is for my life. And I'm not talking about God's will for what he wants you to do. Okay, this is not what this series is about. It's not about what God wants you to do. It's about who God designed you to be. It's about being It's about being in the presence of God. It's about experiencing God. It's about going from bondage. Man, you broke free. That was amazing how you broke free. And you took on those lions and you took on those giants and you took on those those roadblocks and you took on those challenges. And now you're standing at the edge of the promised land. And the promised land is being in the presence of God all the time in your life. And it can be done. It can be done. But that final step is the most challenging step of all, but it is the most transforming step of all. 
And God, with God's help, see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, we have God living in us. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. It can be done. It can be done. We're just talking about, we're talking about here is living in the presence of God all the time. I want to read you from practicing his presence. I want to read you something. You know, it's funny too. As I was reading this, um, Brother Lawrence wrote, in 1660s to 1680s, okay, in here, 16. And then Frank Laubach wrote also in the 1930s, he wrote the letters, but he was obviously around before that. But we get so sometimes, we talk about marketplace ministry and the cutting edge, and churches will say, we're the first one to ever do this, and we're the first ones to ever do that, and we have the biggest... Let me tell you something, there's nothing new under the sun. Let me read you this, and you'll understand what I'm saying as I get toward the end. He says, can I bring the Lord back in my mind and my mind flow every few seconds so that God shall always be in my mind? I choose to make the rest of my life an experiment in answering this question. Someone may be saying that this introspection and this struggle to achieve God consciousness is abnormal and perilous. I am going to take the risk for somebody ought to do it. If our religious premises are correct at all, then this oneness with God is the most normal condition one can have. It is what made Christ Christ. It is what St. Augustine meant when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. I do not invite anybody else to follow this arduous path. I wish many might. We need to know so much more than one man alone can, can answer. For example, listen to this. This is, this is way before modern marketplace ministry. Can a laboring man successfully attain this continuous surrender to God? Can a man working at, machine, at a machine pray for people all day long, talk with God all day long, and at the same time do his task efficiently? Can a merchant do business? Can an accountant keep books? Ceaselessly surrendering to God. Can a mother wash the dishes, take care of the babies, continuously talking to God? Is this attainable? Any hour of the day, any day, may be made perfect by merely choosing. It is perfect if one looks toward God that entire hour waiting for his leadership all through the hour and trying hard to do every tiny thing exactly as God wishes it to be done, as perfectly as possible. No emotions are necessary. Just the doing of God's will perfectly makes the hour a perfect one. What we're talking about here is every hour of every day, we're a matter where, no matter where we are, we are in the presence of God. We bring God into that situation. We bring God into the situation. I'll tell you, it's a powerful, powerful thing when you think about it. Adam and Eve, think about this. Let's go back a little bit. Adam and Eve were in the very presence of God. They had intimate fellowship with God in God's presence before the fall. And when sin entered the world, that that fellowship, if you will, that presence was broken. But what the first Adam lost, the second Adam restored. 
me say that again. What the first Adam lost, the second Adam, Jesus Christ restored. He restored it. We have the ability to be engrossed. We have the ability to be enveloped in the very presence of God every day, all day, because he's with us every day, all day, because he is living within us. Christians have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them. They, he lives in us. We, we take him everywhere we go. We, we, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, understand whether you realize it or not, you take God, you take Jesus into every situation that you find yourself in. The only difference is we don't recognize it. And what I want to do this morning, what I want to do during this series is help us recognize that God is with us at all times, every single day. The indwelling presence of God through the Holy Spirit comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we have that personal relationship with Christ, then he dwells with us. In John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Listen to this. Talk about the the Trinity as well. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And then in John chapter 15, verse 4, it says this, remain in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Listen, remain in him at work. Remain in him at school. Remain in him when you're on the field. Remain in him when someone does something to you that you don't like. Remain in him when someone does something that makes you angry. Remain in him when you face temptation. Remain in him. That's what Jesus is saying. Remain in me. Remain in him when you get really bad news. When that bad news comes, you remain in him. Regardless of the circumstances, you can constantly be in the very presence of God. And that is what brings peace, joy, and contentment. There's a difference, okay, from a worldly view of happiness and a biblical view of happiness, peace, joy, and contentment. Happiness from a worldly perspective comes as things go my way. They depend on the circumstances. When circumstances are good, I'm happy. When circumstances are not good, I am no longer happy. What this is saying, what God says to us is you can have happiness, peace and joy and contentment regardless of your circumstances, no matter what you're going through. How? By dwelling in the very presence of God. By dwelling in the presence of God. I am trying, I will try as your pastor My job, like I said, is to feed you spiritual food and how to protect you from spiritual harm. And I will do my humble best to lead us during this season, during this series, into a better understanding of what it means to be in the presence of our loving God. That's my goal, to help lead each one of us into a deeper relationship with Christ and what it means to be dwelling with God, to be in the presence of God. I also want to give others an opportunity. I want to give them an opportunity to share how they experience the presence of God, 
how they, how they have learned to experience the presence of God in their lives. And so this morning, I made my guinea pig, Jen, because she's our worship leader, and she certainly spends time in the presence of God. She's the one, she's actually the one who said, Dad, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. So, Jen, I want to just kind of have you up here, and uh, I want you to share with everyone. Yes, grab it, grab it. Oh, yes, I'll get, I'll get the sand back here. Yeah, I um, was given this book um, by my high school boyfriend, who is now the father of my children and my husband. I did that first service, too. Husband first, father of my children second. Um, yes, when I was 15, um, he gave it to me, actually, at church on the way, walking over to the youth service. He gave me this book and a book that was um, The Promises of God, and it changed my life um, dramatically. It really altered my life. Understanding the concept of fellowship with God, um, realizing the gift that God had given me to be able to dwell in his presence in every single moment and really experience his fullness, um, I feel like is best demonstrated by a quick little video I want to show you guys. So, yeah, that got me like every time I watch it. Like, oh, my goodness. Um, but for me, I kind of felt like the kid in that video, just kind of seeing the colors, the brightness and the colors for the first time and being really overwhelmed um, by how different my life could be. And the amazing thing about that video, too, is the father. I just think imagine being the father and holding your child and feeling the joy that this new world, this new, these new colors is what your child should have been experiencing from the very beginning. Um, and I think that's such a perfect parallel for our Heavenly Father who offers us his fullness, who offers us such beauty, who offers us such divine perspective. Mm. But we just keep living in a world of dim color and a world of gray. Mm. And for me, I was finding myself really content with how much time I was spending with God. It was, you know, Sunday morning or youth group or during times of devotion. Um, that was where I was really sending my attention to God and it was almost like I didn't know what I was missing almost like the dull colors in the world were good enough because I didn't know they could get any brighter Mm -hmm. and my favorite quote from this book um, is that those who content themselves with so little of God are to be pitied I love that that what God has to offer is like an infinite ocean a never ending always full ocean but sometimes we're content to just stand on the shoreline and let a little wave of his presence come and hit our feet and then go back out to sea Um, but the problem is if we stop there with his presence if we're content with just a small wave at our feet then we miss out on the powerful intense constant current of his grace and current of his gifts that he has to offer us and i think for a lot of us the issue is that we don't see the value in that current so that's kind of what i wanted to just share about a little bit this morning so like he said the book was written by two different um people one late 1800s early 1900s and then one in the late 1600s and the book uses the phrase a few times god intoxicated which is the only kind of intoxication that we would support here at grace chapel um but that phrase god intoxicated is used to describe the draw that jesus had as he was walking down the road and people saw him and they were drawn to him and they wanted to follow him and they wanted to hear from him him and they had this desire just to go and be with him and it wasn't 
his cool clothes or the way that he was talking um, that people were drawn to. It was the radiance that was shining from his soul being in constant communion with God. And Psalm 34, 5 says that those who look to God are radiant. And that comes from um, Exodus 34, which is a really quick story I'm going to tell. When Moses came down um, from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, it says that his face was radiant. His face was actually shining from being in God's physical presence. So this kind of freaked out the Israelites a little bit. So he said, no, just come and listen to what I have to say. And then when he was done talking, he put a veil over his face. So he would take the veil off when he would be in the tent of meeting, when he would be in God's physical presence. But then he had to put it back on again when he was out of God's physical presence because it says in 2 Corinthians that the radiance would fade away between time spent with God. So I want to read real quick from 2 Corinthians 3. And this is the message version. I'm going to read this. It says, uh, unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open with us. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice that the glory was fading away. And they didn't notice. They didn't notice it then. and They don't notice it now. Don't notice that there's nothing left behind that veil. Even today, when we see the proclamations of that old government are read out, they can't see through it. Only Christ can get rid of the veil so they can see for themselves that there's nothing there. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. And if you have the uh, NIV version or ESV, that's the scripture that says... Um, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed just like him from one degree of glory to another. So the coolest thing about that is that we as believers have uninhibited access, like Jeff was saying, to God's glory and his presence. It says here, there's nothing between us and God. So we get to soak in God's glory every time we look to him, every time we're aware of him, and then reflect his glory and reflect his radiance all the time, because for us, the veil is taken away. For mm-hmm. us, it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So just like Moses, we've been given access to God's presence. But unlike Moses, our radiance doesn't fade away. <laughs> because thanks to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we now have moment-by-moment moment access to his Holy Spirit. So we don't have to have any hesitation to seek God. And we don't have to have any hesitation to be found by him and to find freedom, like it says, as we go from one degree of glory to another, we become like Christ mm-hmm. every time we look to him. So every moment spent with his Holy Spirit, we are shining. And the only reason that I can ever get up here and sing and talk and have it mean anything and have it mean anything for the kingdom is if I look to him first, if I purpose myself to try to be consumed by his presence, and then I let his glory and his radiance reflect off of me. Mm. And I think this is one of the greatest revelations of this idea of being consumed by God. That all of my striving to ever do anything on my own is empty. Because I think some of our greatest struggles come from constantly striving for things, constantly comparing ourselves, um, constantly needing affirmation from the world and from other people. But instead of reaching for those things... Understand that when your focus is just to be aware of God, when your focus is just to please God, you'll see that intimacy 
with him settles all of that striving and not only shows you your worth but goes a step further and gives you something to offer. Intimacy with God is the cure for all insecurity. Intimacy with God is the cure for all discontent. Intimacy with God is the cure for all hopelessness. Mm. It isn't part of the solution to those problems. It is the solution to those problems because intimacy with God confronts every kind of impurity and transforms us from the dim light of our own strivings to the blinding radiance of Jesus Christ, right? From one degree of glory to another. So when we finally decide to lean into every moment spent with Jesus, we get to see our lives through this divine lens that Jesus sees our lives through, where everything that we do is considered worship to him. Say that again. (laughs) When we finally decide to lean in to every moment spent with Jesus, we get to see our lives through a divine lens where everything we do is considered worship. Everything we do. Everything that we do is considered worship. If you're aware of God in every moment, it will change how you view everything. Yes. If he is in your thoughts with every interaction, with every relationship, with every reaction to whatever is going on in your life, it will change how you view your life. And that's an encouragement. And I don't want you to leave here, too, to think of this radiance as like a pretty, shining, little Jesus light. You know, because I was thinking of when you talked about Daniel in the lion's den and how when the angel came, the lions were probably wetting their pants because they were so intimidated by the presence of the angel. And I think that as we become more like Jesus, I don't think I know, as we become more like Jesus, we become a light that scares the darkness. It's not a little flicker that can get blown out in the wind. It's not a light, like with Moses, that's going to fade away. It's a, in the name of Jesus, I will declare my victory, and I will never stop prophesying of your goodness to the world because of how far I've come in this life kind of light that he gives to us. But again, it's up to us. Are we okay to stand on the shoreline and let a wave of his presence come and hit our feet and Mm -hmm. last for a moment and then go back? Or do we want his endless ocean? Do we want to be content or do we want to be consumed? Amen. So we sang this morning, uh, make me your song of praise and we go from glory to glory to glory and we know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so sometimes I'm like, I wish we did worship at the end (laughs) so we could all sing them again. But um, I'm going to put all those songs on a playlist and put them on our Facebook page. So just if you have some time this afternoon or just make some time this afternoon Mm. and just go on and listen to those songs again um, with just a, a fresh perspective of of what all those songs mean and, the, and um, the glory of the Lord and being his presence. Amen. Let me, let me just close with this quote from Brother Lawrence who wrote this in 1666. He said, I decided to sacrifice my life with all of its pleasures to God, but he greatly disappointed me in this area, for I have met with nothing but satisfaction in giving my life over to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Father, we pray that we would carry you with us to work. That we would reflect you at school, at home, when we get challenging news that sets us back on our heels. When things don't go our way, when things do go our way, May we ever be in your presence. 
Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. I pray that we would not be lazy, Lord God, in this endeavor. That we would focus our whole hearts on learning what it means to be in your presence, to live in your presence, to dwell in your presence. We love you and we praise you and we thank you in advance for the help you're going to give us to cross that line, to make it to the promised land and to live our lives consumed by you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.